Welcome to the week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we cover a band or an artist, and sometimes that artist is shirtless and covered in peanut butter. This week we're talking about the Stooges. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with Jared. This is Tyler here. Was that an accurate description of who we're covering this week? He is sometimes covered in peanut butter. And sometimes shirtless. He's Most mostly off- shirtless. Always. Almost Most always shirtless. Shirtless. Almost always. Almost always and shirtless. I think if, it, didn't he wear a suit in that video with Debbie Harry? I don't remember. I'm not sure either. I think he, he just painted his bare chest a suit. Ooh, yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I mean, that's the only way he could do it, really. Yeah. So again, this week we're talking about the Stooges and how did everybody feel about listening to the Stooges? Tyler, let's start with you. Good. Like the Stooges, they're uh, what people will. It, the correct term would be proto punk. Proto punk. And some people don't know what that means because some people like to call things that are not proto punk proto punk. But it's everything before punk, if you will, and which includes lots of garage acts of the '60s and music from the '60s that I really think is fun and like to listen to. And the Stooges are the more uh, less garagey, more punky, and on uh, quality recording equipment group of that nature that seems to make sense yeah i i do like the idea of proto-punk the idea that it's just things that came before punk except it's just punk then yeah it is punk basically it's just punk at that point it's just you know? punk before punk yeah yeah like if you say like it's before that then it's like but that is what it is yeah like, it's just punk really yeah it's got a, a little bit of noise rock to it in yeah some and some psych well. some, some psych yeah yeah, it's got lots of stuff. Of course, the first album, originally produced by John Cale, yep. the, the debut, and it's known for being quite loud already. Um, of course, the, the release, the initial release was actually when they took it to the label. The label said, this is too too loud, too loud, too noisy. So Iggy and a separate producer had to sit down and go through track by track and, and remix and re, remaster it. And so it's not as loud as it could have been. I have the John Cale mix on vinyl. It's pretty sweet. It's louder. It's cool. But... Yeah. It's punk. How about you, Jared? How did you feel about the Stooges? I thought it was okay. I It's not it was it was good, I guess. I'm not a huge fan of the Stooges. I'm not a huge fan of Iggy Pop, but um I recognize the importance that they have to music and punk music and uh I don't think I'd listen to their like main the first three albums, um, all the way through before, uh, the debut, the Stooges, Funhouse, and Raw Power, which Raw Power is, you know, regarded as one of the most um, influential punk albums ever. Mm-hmm. So it was good to listen to that. Uh, it's uh, Kurt Cobain of Nirvana's favorite album of all time. Wow, it's a great album. I so, bought a uh, Beatles album at Everybody's Records in uh, Pleasant Ridge. Cincinnati neighborhood and uh, I realized I had bought the stereo version and I wanted the mono version so I went in and returned it and asked if I could just swap and he said yeah and I swapped it for raw power and I went up to the front and he's like this is a much better one anyway and mm-hmm. I said I can't deny that yeah I had uh, I had only listened to I've only listened to raw power previous to this week like all the way through mm-hmm. and I wasn't a huge fan of raw power initially but I 
I think I gained a little bit more of an appreciation by listening to it this week, especially with the context of listening to the debut Stooges and Funhouse on top of it. But with Raw Power being like, you know, considered their best album by most people, I actually found Funhouse more interesting than Raw Power. Even though Raw Power is by a lot of like historical people and by a lot of other people often acknowledged as their biggest album or perhaps their most um I don't I'm not sure that a lot of people say that it's their best album but a lot of people say that it is their most influential or their most important album mm-hmm. because fun but funhouse like when you talk to people who like the Stooges or who are into to proto punk stuff uh funhouse is brought up quite regularly mm-hmm. as well as the debut all three of them are but really funhouse funhouse is the album uh that a lot of people like to like throw into things when they don't want to talk about raw power that makes sense and it is good. Funhouse is good. It's got a lot, some more psych stuff to it and uh, some more of the noise rock stuff thrown in. And then when you get to Raw Power, that's it's kind of a mixture of the two and like some of the craziness is wrangled back a little bit. It's like oddly less raw on Raw Power. Yeah. Which makes no sense, but it is kind of how it worked out. Um, it's a little bit more traditional in terms of the songwriting, I felt like. Um Definitely not as, like, aggressive in terms of, like, uh, the way that it's performed. Because, like, Iggy Pop as a vocalist, I, I the word that I see thrown around a lot is animalistic. Mm. He's He's got a lot of, a uh, lot of energy, really, uh, pushes things out. He's, like, constantly snarling and growling and howling and just very, very, like, odd way of performing, like, on a studio album, but uh, there's a little bit less of that on Raw Power. He has a little bit more of like an actual like singing voice, I would say, on that album compared to the other two albums, which are the, of course, the three albums are really their prominent releases as yeah, a, as a group. The other yes. two were uh, not good. No. Well, one of them is newer. Yeah, and the, it's and it's uh, not great. The weirdness is one album. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is uh, Ready to Die. That's their final studio release that came mm-hmm. out in 2013. And that was after Ron Ashton's death. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I thought that Ron Ashton had passed away. I believe so. By the time that Ready to Die had come out. Well, it's just weird. The whole the last two uh, being coming out, like coming out when they did, 2007 and 2013, are just weird anyway. Because I, I actually found that... Uh, the weirdness wasn't too bad and it kind of sounded like a Stooges album. It really wasn't, wasn't that bad. That's a couple of interesting tracks on it that I thought were okay, but it's weird that those came out so late after it, it kind of like Lou Reed. It's like if Lou Reed were to make another velvet underground album, mm-hmm. you know, in the mid two thousands, like Iggy pop went on to have a solo career that was prominent for the release of a couple of albums. And he mm-hmm. continues to have a solo career. That is uh, what at this point is more of a, like collaborative, which we can, we can talk about a little bit later uh, in the show. But it it's weird that he had he's an icon in rock music mm-hmm. outside of the Stooges for a long time. He has songs that people know, they like, that people have sampled uh, not only in rock music but in other places. And then they come back and make two more Stooges albums, which is it's just kind of weird. Just kind of weird. It is it is kind of odd. I agree because like he. Probably because, you know, like if you look at the third album, which was billed as Iggy and the Stooges, that's 
kind of already making it clear like he's you know i mean obviously he's the front man to begin with but he's kind of the driving force i guess so then when he steps away and starts being his solo act you have to wonder to a certain degree when he goes back to being iggy and the stooges what is it that's different i guess there is something different yeah because if you listen to his first two solo albums then it it doesn't really sound like it's not stooges no. no, it's a it's a different sound. Yeah, he's I, it's kind of again like it's going in a more traditional rock direction. It's a lot less noisy, a lot less messy, and really not punk. No, it's not punk. So, um, but so, it's also coming into the seventies. You know, you're, it's just it just it's very interesting because it is pretty similar to what we think of in terms of Lou Reed and Velvet Underground in a way mm-hmm. of like, uh, you know, as Lou Reed began his solo career, he still, he maintained a little bit more forward thinking stuff. Uh, but he brought his music also moved into the seventies and, and in a very similar way, uh, you know, Iggy's early work, less for life was a 77 release. The idiot was a 77 release, mm-hmm. you know, it's a weird time. The end of the seventies is a weird time because even by seventy seven, like punk is big in that year, and but we're moving into the eighties and new wave is beginning to do its thing here in the next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this the Talking Heads released their debut album in seventy seven. Mm-hmm. They're going to be releasing more songs about buildings and food in seventy eight. You know, like things are changing. So what do you do? And Iggy's music kind of fits in there into a place that that works in that time period because it's kind of like sometimes it's difficult to place really his voice still maintains kind of a grumbly thing and then you mix that with some of the lighter rock stuff and it just kind of i don't know it works in a way that seems to fit in it was popular people liked it i think i think it was fairly successful um in fact uh, this is kind of morbid but also at the same time it shows a bit of uh uh influences supposedly when ian curtis committed suicide the album he was listening to was the idiot oh really yeah and it was still on when they found him apparently if i if i recall that story correctly huh so he was an iggy pop fan and he really liked the idiot apparently i mean he had mentioned that previously right like i'm not just pulling that from that story yes uh but that's but you know uh, it spoke to him in some sort of way. Yeah. So it's just kind of interesting the way that the trajectory of the, both the Stooges and Iggy did their thing. Because it's later. I mean, his work is in later in the 70s, his solo work. So. Yeah. I also, I, I think in general, I was kind of surprised that Iggy Pop was able to have any kind of solo career, to be quite honest. Because if you look at just like the historical aspects of the group, like they were just falling apart. In so many different directions, mostly because of heroin use. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was kind of why they broke up after Raw Power was because they weren't really doing well in terms of like chart success. They were, you know, their whole situation was very toxic at that point in time. And Pop was coming out in live performances just like falling on the ground and unable to stand and like it. The idea that like a label would say, all right, we don't really trust that you can handle the Stooges anymore, but do you want to do this by yourself? Like, yeah. it's it's kind of odd to me that it was even like 
that he was given another opportunity. Because really, what probably should have happened is that um, what probably should have happened is is that after Raw Power, they all just kind of disappeared for a really long time, mm-hmm. and then once they got clean, maybe they got back together. Right. That seems more like what would have happened to me, rather than Iggy Pop having a couple of successful solo albums and really staying consistent in terms of releasing music up until the Stooges came back together. Yeah, and even afterwards. Yeah. Even afterwards. Yeah, it's um, it's weird. It's just weird to think. But, uh, well, it's weird to come from, for instance, let's just like think about the cover of Lust for Life. It's just a picture of Iggy Pop smiling, which is like a weird, it's just weird to see like a portrait of him. Like he sat for a portrait yeah, type thing where he's not like shirtless, shirtless covered in peanut butter. Yeah. And just being insane. It's just really weird. So I don't know if maybe, and I don't know the story of it, of how his solo career began, but perhaps someone, I mean, it, it has to be that he was approached by someone at some point about something, right? Who's just like, you can't, you've got to do something else. You know what I mean? If you want to continue in this. You know, people don't want to work with you. Labels are concerned about being able to do, you know, anything. Do you know who uh, so, who kind of uh, kick-started his solo career? Who was it? David Bowie. Indeed. That's right. I did, you're right. I did know that. He, uh, he Pop was, was trying to get off of drugs, and he checked himself into a psychiatric hospital, and one of the few people that came to visit him was David Bowie. And once he got out... Uh, he went and lived with um, David Bowie in West Berlin, and they were both trying to get off of drugs. And he, um, Iggy Pop said, uh, the big event of the week was Thursday night. Anyone who was still alive and able to crawl to the sofa would watch Starsky and Hutch. We, I think we talked about this on the yeah. uh, the Iggy Poppy episode. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. So, I mean, that's he was still... And it's interesting because the last... It was four years between the last Stooges album and his debut album and his second album, which came out in the exact same year, right. which is mm-hmm. interesting. But it took him four years between the two albums to, you know, like between the end of the Stooges and the beginning of his solo career, which, you know, it's almost surprising, I suppose, that um, the critical acclaim of his solo stuff from his debut is on par with the pinnacle of the Stooges. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. It's interesting, and it's like completely different artistry. It's completely different music. Yep, it is. It is quite quite different. But I, um, Bowie produced the last, maybe the last Stooges album. I believe is that what it is that what it was? Yes. So that so whole like that story is quite odd. That relationship had already been blooming for you know a time. Mm-hmm. So Tyler, I'm assuming that you're pretty familiar with uh, the mixing. Of raw power and the story behind all that. Now go for it, Caleb. So the initial mix of raw power was done by David Bowie and people kind of hated it. Like I said, like kind of muddied the songs. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it wasn't, it wasn't until like what 97 Mm -hmm. that Iggy pop came in and then remixed it, remixed the, the songs himself and made them a little bit more true to the way that he wanted them to sound. And I, I f- like it's very odd that it would take him that long to go in and fix it. Yep. Because people like thought, 
about raw power they would say like this would have been one of the most important albums ever if it had been mixed better Mm -hmm. so like yeah in my head i'm like did this not was this album not seen as a really important album until 97 i don't know sometimes i mean we've experienced we've we've seen things where that's the case where like people don't really you don't realize until well it's just like it's i mean i've I keep making ties to Velvet Underground, but it's similar in that way, right? I mean, we talked about how people didn't realize that they were one of the biggest bands until you realized that, you know, all the big people who started making music afterwards were listening to things like that until until punk exploded. And, I mean, today you can look... I mean, the 90s were a time where punk had transformed into hardcore punk, you know, um, then we've, we've got grunge, which takes a lot of stuff uh, still from punk and then, you know, run into post-hardcore which was of course more of an underground scene at the time but definitely spread spread throughout the country in various places and i mean i suppose it maybe just took that long for someone to be like maybe you should do something about this you know and he's like i guess i could also obviously there i mean the tensions weren't high at the last album yeah uh for afterwards i'm you know with with the issues with drugs and then focusing on his solo career you know he probably had to like really puts especially having two albums come out the same year he had to put stuff behind him as well probably and continue mm-hmm. doing his own thing on top of that so he probably just didn't even have time or think about it for a while as well so that's true their last concert this dude just very last concert ended with them fighting a, a biker gang and it was documented on an album somehow that's that's quite a thing it's actually a fitting end it's kind of like when um Oh, what's his face? The guy that, oh my gosh, uh, uh, Gigi Allen, mm-hmm. where his last concert, he just like left and was running around the street naked, covered in blood and stuff. Yep. And Looking then, for and doing drugs. Yeah. Like that. I mean, but that, that could have been the end of any of his, con- like, you know, like yeah. that's how he ended it all the time. So, right. It was inevitable. Well, every con- in every concert he was covered in, uh, urine, feces and blood typically, you know, so yeah. That's standard, GG. It's it's surprising the man never ran out. That's true. Uh, yeah, the the last album that the live recording that I had mentioned uh, was uh, called Metallic Ko, and uh, it was ended with uh, that fight, which is interesting. Actually, it looks like they ended it with the song "Louie Louie" by Richard Berry. Totally, totally, totally normal thing to end on. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I, I guess will, I will also say real quick. Yeah. Um, uh, while we're uh, kind of like middling around the topic of the the heroin usage, mm-hmm. you got to be a really, really, really bad music manager to be John Adams. Yeah. Because John Adams, as their manager, was like, "Hey, you guys want to do heroin?" Like. As a, like, not, not to say, like, it's obviously like, you know, don't, don't suggest to people to do heroin. Not, not usually the best idea. No. But from like a business perspective as well, why would you think that that would help your band that you're managing? Yeah, that's not a good idea. Isn't that like the whole thing that you want to avoid with your band is them becoming like entrenched in a drug scene that will make their performances and their music more difficult sometimes managers were just buddies anyway i guess like you you've seen that thing in the 60s you know where managers were just like it's it's weird because sometimes your managers was just like your buddy who doesn't have much talent listeners 
If you have a buddy who offers you heroin, they're not really your bo- your buddy. Say no to drugs. Yeah, they're your manager. <laughs> uh, you know. So, yeah. Next time your drug dealer comes over, just say no. It's my manager. My manager. Yeah, my manager comes over every couple of days. I give him some money to be my manager. Well, you do have to pay ma- your manager. Yeah. Or else exactly. they might. Yeah. If if you don't, they may break your kneecaps. Oh yeah. Sometimes the managers are just the buddies that don't have any talent, and right. then they want to reap the rewards of fame. And so they're the ones who, instead of actually working on music, are out there doing various things and then sometimes turn on the bands to the droogs. And occasionally that's just what happens. No talent managers. Dirty, dirty, no talent birds. Yeah. Doing nothing, sitting around soaking up all the fame. Stealing the money. I'd like to be in that position. That's yeah. what happened with Elvis's manager, Colonel Parker. Is that his name, Colonel? Yep. Okay, you got, got it. Right. Sometimes, you I, sometimes I question myself. I don't... I don't. I know things. I don't respect any... John Adams on this podcast, whether you're the manager of the Stooges or the second president of the United States of America. No respect. No, no respect. respect. Rodney Dangerfield. I have a, a little bit of an update on the thing I said before about that last concert. Yes. According to this, they did a 45-minute version of Louie Louie. <laughs> he was, so it wasn't just that they ended with Louie Louie. Including, it's that, that they really ended with Louie Louie. Including new improvised lyrics that Iggy Pop did and said, you can suck my ass, you biker F-word sissies. Yep. And uh, he was just basically egging on the bikers. The bikers were uh, more and more hostile, and Iggy just kind of fed off of the hostility. And that's what... I'd be pretty hostile, too, if you played Louie Louie at me for 43 minutes. This says, Metallic KO is the only rock album where you can actually hear a hurled beer bottle breaking against guitar strings. Huh. That is iconic right there. It really is. I gotta get that album. Metallic KO. Check it out, everybody. If there's anything we're trying to shill out on this episode, it's that. Uh, I will have my song played, I guess, because we haven't played a song. Uh, mine, I'll, I'm gonna pick... It's interesting, like when you only have three albums, mm-hmm. really three. I mean, there's five total, but three main ones. Yeah, the, the, it's the, difficult to not pick like one of the most popular songs, right? Especially when like, I mean, you've only got like what thirty songs to choose from. Yeah, something like that. Oh no, the the second album, um, the Funhouse one, only had like seven tracks. Let's see. So we have seven plus uh, eight. Plus, do the math, buddy. Eight. 23. 23. Dear God. But yeah, you've only got like, if you're sticking to no Iggy Pop, like solo work, and well, that would your be... favorite album is not going to be one of the last two, you really are kind of relegated to 23 songs, which yeah. is interesting that they have such a huge impact from 23 songs. Yeah. But go ahead, please. Uh, I'm going to say it's Search and Destroy. I think that's a great song. Wasn't that in um, a Tony Guitar, Hawk game? Guitar Hero 2. It's Guitar Hero 2. The Red Hot Chili Peppers also covered it, which is an interesting cover. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But I, I like this song. I like, I mean, it's basically either uh, Search and Destroy or I Want to Be Your Dog. Those are the two main singles, like the most well-known songs. But I'm mm-hmm. picking Search and Destroy.
That sounds like a hive song. I agree. That, it does. Isn't that funny? That's funny. Yeah, that's definitely just a punk song right there. Yeah, it's no. it, it is not the same like bluesy, noisy mess that yeah. they had on Fun House no. or the Stooges. No, it's totally punk. It's real good. Um, I like the tones. I love the fuzz. Lots of fuzz. It's fun. It's actually kind of weird because sometimes I I really I'm I like punk, but I really love sixties uh, garage rock proto punk stuff because it's it the rawness of it is different Mm -hmm. because you know uh a lot of punk uses i guess i'm going to get into the guitar bits of it they use they use distortion over fuzz or overdrive a lot of times Uh, so distortion is kind of more of a square sound uh fuzz is really like what we hear there it's very it's kind of sporadic and it seems to be much louder and i think it's a lot more fun and texturally interesting for a guitar tone. So I really like the 60s stuff when they do that, that type of stuff. And when they kind of let, they let the quality sometimes of their instruments and amps and effects, which were minimal, um, drive the way something sounds sometimes. And that's much more interesting than like, as we get into the 70s, punk becomes a little more polished. And even though it's still loud and it's fat, like even with Ramones, it's still more a little more polished, especially because they're focusing on covering songs from the 50s that, we're in that realm before we got into the experimental portions of the sixties, you know, but, uh, that early stuff's just really fun to just like put on and get wild. Since we're talking a little bit about the guitar tones, one thing that I thought was interesting about the transition from Funhouse to raw power is the change in guitar player because Ron Ashton was the guitarist for Stooges mm-hmm. and Funhouse, And then going into the third album, he had been, uh, removed from the band. And they brought in, was it Williamson? James Williamson, yes. James Williamson. And then they let Ron back into the band, but they were like, now you got to play bass now. Yeah. (laughs) Bummer. (laughs) He was was like, I guess I'll play the bass now. He was pretty pretty begrudging about it. But the guitar on Funhouse just kind of, in general, sounds different than the guitar on Raw Power because Ashton was a different guitar player than what Williamson was. Right. And Williamson, people would argue, was a better guitarist. He had more like of a standard like understanding of how to play the guitar. But again, like for me, the guitar on the Stooges and Funhouse, I found more interesting because it was a little bit more messy. Yep. A little bit more like, you know, I guess off the cuff. Like it's it's something about Ashton's guitar playing I I preferred over Williamson's. Yeah, there's definitely an interesting change that happens there and that's kind of where you get into the more um that's where you like even though the tonality and a lot of the sound of raw power still reaches back to the 60s it's very much rooted a lot still in what's going to become the punk movement of the mid 70s and what and like what that's going to be like so you don't have as much of the just kind of like experimentation or just making weird noises in the same way. It's more just about loud, like power chords, getting more. You know, you have some little lead bits over it, like we had in in Search and Destroy, but it's just it's just more about being like big and loud, and not as much about being like lots of like different things just kind of thrown at you a little more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you want to know about the peanut butter? Yeah, tell, tell us about, about the peanut, peanut butter. butter. 
<clears throat> the peanut butter situation it happened in Cincinnati. I don't know if you all knew that. The peanut butter incident. The peanut butter incident. During a performance of 1970, the song from Funhouse in Cincinnati. In 1970. Same year, same song. Iggy, Iggy gets a little wild on stage. We should start with that. The man likes to... He's He likes to be theatrical. Perhaps the first man to do a stage dive. Yes. And at this concert, he had crawled onto the hands of... He, first off, he's little as well. He's not a big dude. And he's scrawny. He's always been scrawny. So he's not heavy. People were holding him up by... He was standing on people's hands. Full out standing. Not like laying. He was, they, he was standing upright on the hands of the crowd. And someone gave him a jar of peanut butter. He's shirtless as always. So he opened it and began rubbing it all over himself and then flinging it as well into the audience. And How do you fling peanut butter? You get it on your fingers like, I'm going to show it's you what tough, he did. This is a tough, because difficult thing. what he did is quite interesting. He had two fingers in the position of, uh, you know, a fist with two fingers pointed up, the, the middle finger and the neck. And he scoops out the peanut butter and flings it to people, flings it on people like like so, in a flinging motion. I like that you made that as visual as you possibly could. <clears throat> yes, and rubs it all over himself. And uh, one day maybe I can rub peanut butter on myself in front of people, and people will cheer and be happy about it. <clears throat> what a world to live in where you can rub yourself with peanut butter and people are like, yeah, this is cool. It is kind of weird to think that today if uh, an artist did that, it doesn't seem, I really don't think anyone would think it was that weird. I know. But in the time, uh, no one was rubbing peanut butter on themselves. Right. So Can I, I got an important question about the peanut butter incident. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the peanut butter was planted? My, you think he planted the peanut butter? That's my question. That's the that's the controversy right uh, there. I don't know. It's possible. What do you think, Jared? Do you think the peanut butter was planted? I don't know. Is it planters? <laughs> it was planters nuts right in the right in the jar. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it really matters. It doesn't. Yeah. I, I saw I saw somewhere where they were they had mentioned that it might have been planted and I was like, What do you care? Yeah, I would just it a, would be an interesting thing to see is like the most iconic moments in music history are they planted? You know, the things mm-hmm. that we think of. Some of the things I don't know what else I would think of in that in that way. I I don't know. Yeah. But there are other moments maybe that could have been theor- theoretically a planted moment. It's true. They uh, Apparently this performance was being broadcast as well. And they went to a commercial break, I guess. And when they returned, uh, the announcer said that since we broke away for our commercial, Iggy has been in the crowd and out three different times. So he's just in and out of this crowd all over the place. And, uh, you know, people like peanut butter. I, my real question... Your question is, is it planted? But uh, my question was uh, smoother, crunchy peanut butter. I just want to know. Be, it's easier it. to fling the crunchy. Right. But well, it's also yeah. abrasive on your chest. Though. I would hate to get that a nut in my eye. It's true. Oh, from, yeah? From, damn it. I would think the stupid. creamy. <laughs> <laughs> I quit this show. Yeah. Do you want to know why I asked? Why? If, uh, if the peanut butter was planted? Why? Because that rumor was confirmed. Oh, it was planted? It was. Nice. Who said this? So, uh, in an interview, uh, Stiv Baters, who no, was a member of Lords that. of the New Church and the Dead Boys, confirmed the long-standing rumor that it was he who had provided the peanut butter. Okay. Well, yeah, but was he told to provide the peanut butter? Yeah. I assume so. 
That's what I'm gathering. Just because you're a fan and in the audience and famous doesn't mean that you you know you planted in. Weren't they buddies? I mean, that's the question, I guess. Does it really matter? No. No, he still rubbed it. I just so. love that, like, like there was a rumor that was circulating. I that guess the, who who provided Iggy Pop the peanut well, the butter? Question also. Was I guess the, the organicness of it is maybe you know like more important, possibly of like, the peanut butter. I do agree that organic peanut butter is yeah, the way to it's go. Pretty, but like if it was if, a, at some point, it doesn't really matter if it was irritant to it doesn't point. matter if it was Iggy Pop or a fan or some guy from the Dead Boys or their manager who also provided them drugs. Uh, the ma- that's what it was. This, um, you got you hit it, Jared. Somebody at some point said, "Ah, oh, peanut butter," yeah. and then <laughs> well, that's and the then question. They decided to bring it, and he did the thing. That's so the... d- like somebody's idea was originally, "Hey, let's yeah. bring this peanut butter." Well, that was my that was the question I thought it would lead to. If you if the peanut butter is planted, then the question becomes, why why ch- did you choose peanut butter? You could have rubbed anything on yourself. Jelly, jelly, yes. Uh, Make a Iggy Pop s- sandwich. Salsa. Ooh. Oh, chunky, Ooh. chunky salsa. Oh my! Whatever it you. is, I recommend not doing it after the glass. Yeah, oh. pro- yeah. You were correct though. I believe it was planted by the manager, and it the, it was peanut butter full of heroin. Oh no! And he would rubbed it on like a paste, and it soaked in through his pores. I hate oh, when that my. happens. Oh my! Yeah. Usually, when I have my sandwich, I always check the ingredients to see if John Adams had planted my peanut butter in the in the in the drawer. Yeah. Oh my! Anyways, what an episode! What and an episode! That's uh, the true. <laughs> that's the true definition of an industry plant. It's the peanut butter. Yeah. I will. I will go ahead and say my my favorite track from the stooges i think that the one that stood out to me the most was tvi I think those early albums, you get a little bit more of um, Iggy's influence of both The Doors and The Rolling Stones. Because mm-hmm. like his vocal performance, I mean, it's different. He does something different. But he has kind of like the same swagger as both of them. Yeah, I think so. I think that also makes me think of the... bring Worth bringing up that they're a Midwest band. Mm-hmm. You know, because... Uh, Obviously, the Rolling Stones were British, and uh, the Doors were from California, a West Coast band. So, uh, I think this the Stooges are important for bringing prominence in terms of music to the Midwest. Because mm-hmm. the it's funny, uh, a lot of people want to say that the punk scene started in New York. And it did start in New York in terms of the punk scene that we know of. But when you think about it, if you want to think of Stooges and, and like these garage rock bands that were small, that... Their name of garage rock is because they, you know, live the garage rock thing. Uh, that's like Midwestern people, you know, people who've got nothing else going on. And they got to figure out something to do. And uh, they live in Diet Detroit. Ah, oh, Diet Detroit. And so they got to do My their favorite th- cola. Yep. Diet Detroit cola. They got to do their thing. So I think I think that's cool that they're from the Midwest and, and Michigan people. Not a lot of big... I mean, who else comes from Michigan and don't say Greta Van Fleet? Kid Rock. 
Isn't Eminem? Yeah, and Eminem. That's right. Detroit's got all of them. Detroit's got all of them. Where are Kiss from? Because they have that song Detroit Rock City, don't they? Is they that do. Just a bit. I don't. I think remember. so. Yeah, I don't remember where they. They got to be from like California or something. Let like me that. look. Gene up. Simmons is like the epitome of California. He really is. Gene Simmons. Kiss is from New York. Okay, you're faster than me. Where's he from? While you're there, Caleb. His name isn't Gene Simmons. It's something Jewish. Gene Klein. Oh, is that his name? Born Chaim Witz. Yeah, there you go. He's from, was born in Israel. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he was born in Israel. I didn't know that. He's an Fun interesting facts. guy. He's a um, Yeah, he's okay. He had that TV show. It was kind of interesting to see him be a old washed up rock star with the same haircut. He also had a cartoon. He did. So um, while we're talking about other rock musicians, I'd like to bring up a topic. Yes. And uh, it's an interesting topic. And I'm not sure if either of you landed on it's this. My, it's my belly. I'm not sure if either of you landed on this specific topic. But if I found it to be perhaps one that could be a little inflammatory. Fall asleep? Yeah, I was just waiting for you to get to the point. Have you <laughs> have you heard of Sable Star? No. No. Sable Star <clears throat> was a 13-year-old groupie. Oh, no. Oh, I I do know this. I do know Sable oh, Star. No. I saw it sound familiar. I'm quite familiar with it. She is considered to be queen of the groupie scene yeah. in she, Los Angeles. She went all around. There's big stories of, of her and a friend of hers who was 14 who also has some significant, had some significant fame and uh, was featured in Rolling Stone and various other articles dealing with uh, their, their interactions with Sir Bowie, particularly, and uh, some other people. Uh, list of names that Sable Star, as a 13-year-old, claimed to have slept with. Mm-hmm. Iggy Pop, yeah. Mick Jagger, Rod Stewart, Alice Cooper, David Bowie, and Mark Bolin. Who's Mark Bolin? He is a member of the band T-Rex. She uh, she also, um, at 16, ran away from home to yeah. um, to be with uh, Johnny Thunders, who was a uh, member of the New York Dolls. Just thought uh, that that whole thing was a little odd. Yeah. Not I, good. I, actually, it's funny because I did read about that, um, I believe, in May, not not too long ago. I read about that for some reason. I don't remember where what what I must have been reading about Bowie and something mentioned that, and then uh, yeah, I read an article from her friend. You know, she had she was kind of the leader of a scene. Mm-hmm. There were multiple people in this, actually multiple. Just to be blunt, there's multiple teenagers, is what it was. Teenage girls who were in like this groupie scene. It was his, her sister Coral. Mm-hmm. Was another person was there? That this I don't remember which. I'd have to you know I'd have to get back to the article. It wasn't a sister. It was a friend. Of, it was a friend of hers that had written, like left her home and done a similar thing. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty. It's all pretty wild, man. The whole thing's pretty like insane to think about the fact that like. Do you see the song "Look Away" by Iggy Pop? Nineteen ninety six. He wrote a song called "Look Away," and it refers to her. And he says in the song, I slept with Sable when she was 13. Her parents were too rich to do anything. She rocked her way around L.A. till a New York doll carried her away. Oh, boy. Wow. Oh, no. That's Iggy. Oh, no. 
That is a that is a whoa, whoa. that's not good, guys. No, that's a straight up Conway Twitty moment right there. Yeah, this is no, good. it's worse than that. It's Ted it's Nugent. Quite, yeah, it's it's very Ted Nugent. The thing that also is pretty awful. So the interview that occurred when she like came out to state these things was when she was sixteen, and in California the age of consent was eighteen. Yes, and none of the people she named were investigated for child abuse, wow. sexual mm-hmm. abuse. You know, none of them. No one was investigated. This is not good. No, it's not. This is not good. That's why I said it's inflammatory. All our heroes are not good. Not good. Well, I think this is the end of the show. <laughs> Wrap up the... How old was Johnny Thunders at the time? Uh, that's a good question, actually. Johnny Thunders appeared to have been... Let's see. So she when she was 16, it would have been 73. He was born in 52. So he would have been 21, and she would have been 16, I think. Still bad. Think that would be the math? Some people would justify it. I will not. Yeah. Where I, did you, what, I don't see these lyrics at all. Why don't we just play the song Look Away? We should let's, do that. Let's listen to the song Look Away. I see, it in a, I see a mixture. I see some sources have one way and some sources have the other way. So we should play it. Just play it, and then if, if it turns out... That those are the words. I will take off my headphones and I will go upstairs. (laughs) Please don't leave us. It's in there. Woo. I don't think uh, no nothing else need be said. My favorite song by the Stooges is uh, "No Fun," which he will he will not be having if oh. things do not go well. Uh, once people listen to this episode. in the show see y'all later bye bye yeah there's not really any comeback on this one is there no why didn't you wait till the very end i i i didn't i don't know I, in retrospect i already knew all about it so it hasn't ruined that much for me uh but you definitely put a damper on it i'm sorry you dampered it right now i it seemed like it needed to be talked about am i wrong no in a whole in an entire scene that's really just like full of Getting people all drugged up and then like bringing these types of situations to people, right? And then acting like it's normal, right? Which is pretty. Well, that's what I was gonna say is that like the biggest issue that I see with all of it is that like so sure on that song he's like, well, yeah, I got clean and I got better, but what were the consequences at that point? In time? Well, I'm not. I mean, that's not what I'm. You know, like, that's not, that like oh yeah, not, maybe there's a level of remorse. I'm not defending like, an action. Those are the intro a, lyrics. He seems a little nonchalant about the the concept of what happened. I don't know. I mean, sometimes that's what you do is you just be like, yeah, 
this is what happened. And you try to, you know what I mean? Like, that's the first step of uh, doing something about it from there. Yeah. I suppose. I suppose you could, he could have just said, no, it never happened. Right. And then, but I mean, I think there was enough validity to her claims and enough witnesses and things. Well, I don't think all of those interactions with those various people. I don't think anyone has denied from what I was reading. No one has denied these, you know, over the course of time, these things like uh, people know that she was real and existed. I don't, it's not good. I don't know. I don't have, I can't really say anything. Yeah. Well, can you, I mean, it's, it happened a long time ago, but that doesn't, that doesn't justify normalcy of it. Right. And the problem also is in Hollywood Mm -hmm. that it's not like gone now. It's actually still very prevalent and it's, it's not, it's, it's underground, unfortunately. Right. And so you don't know how bad that is. And it's a very, it's not good. It's really not good. And it's like, how did all, like 50 years later, it's still bad and nothing has changed from it. And we knew all, like they've known, people knew that this was happening at that time. Right. And nothing happened. There are no consequences from it for any of these famous rock stars. They're still wildly successful millionaires and nothing happened from them being bad people at that time. Right. Potentially still bad now. We don't know the answer to that. And now it's still bad in that circle. Yeah. I mean, it's like there's a little bit more of an awareness at this point in time. Like, I mean, you know, the Me Too movement is obviously a lot bigger. I think it's more just not normalized as, as compared to being. It's not like people didn't know this was happening then. But it was normalized. It would have been a case that people would have been scene. like, "It's a boys will be boys type." Boys will be boys, or like that's the scene, you know, or or like kind of thing. Or she went there looking for it, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, she. I don't know. Her situation is also. I don't know what to, it's difficult to think about because she left home. To do this thing, like this is a decision At that 13. she made. Yes, I know. But that's well, where but she was still living. It's, it uh, said that she was still but, living at home, that she went to school to appease her parents. So, like, yes. they were, she was still like. Until 16 when she left. Mm-hmm. But this happened yes. at but the my, underage. My point is that it's weird because, like, what we are, what we're aware of now is that people are, are grooming people and bringing people mm-hmm. for this specific, like, uh, as far as I can tell from what I've read of her story, she wasn't, like, groomed and brought. Like now it's like a thing. It's like its own underground industry. Mm-hmm. And that's what's like insane about, about like the, the continuation of today. That's the things that we've learned that we didn't know were happening before necessarily. Like the kind of groupie situation was more normalized at the time. And now we were like, this is, that's just because you normalized it doesn't make it right. And now what we know is that like it's its own, it's become its own like system where people are like, forcibly putting people in here and and bringing people into this situation which is even just crazier to think that that was happening even and it still is happening like right it's already crazy it's that's my point is like it's already insane enough to think that like people are making these decisions and no one's doing anything about it uh but it's even crazier to think that people are not making these decisions necessarily or are being super, super like supremely coerced into it and to a level that we never even thought about Right. 
And I mean, like, I, I do recognize that, like, this is a very uncomfortable topic to cover on a show like this. It's not really, like, where we delve into often. But it is a dark history of rock and roll music mm-hmm. of that period of time that, like, if we just ignored that conversation and just only purely talked about the music that was happening at that time, it's like, you know, that ends up being part of the problem in its own right, is looking at the music on its own and not recognizing that there is a dark past behind, you know, that, you know, sure. Like drug usage has a lot to do with, and the Mm -hmm. culture of, you know, rock and roll at that time has a lot to do with, and just a lot of things fall into that realm, but it, you know, it happened. Yep. So thank you for listening to this kind of odd episode of record round table. This week we were talking about the Stooges, and next week we'll be talking about Fallout Boy. They're safe. <laughs> check check out our social media bits, Instagram, Facebook, so on and so forth. Check out our website, recordroundtable.com. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash recordroundtable. Thank you for listening. Hope you got through this okay. Goodbye. <laughs>